I'm, I'm just glad to be here at church today. I think this is great. So it's interesting this morning kind of how uh, the worship service has gone so far. And it, it never, it's not like a surprise or anything, but just the things that would happen starting in prayer this morning and through the worship, what we were singing, and then Brett's comments and what he was talking about uh, fits right in with uh, what I'm starting in this morning in a series that we're going to be heading into, and it's called Rising Above Our Adversity. And uh, it's interesting because the Lord has been working these kinds of things in my own life personally. And uh, I figured, well, God, if you're doing that in me and over time and over the years and understanding these things and we all go through adversity, uh, I'm sure that, that I'm not the only one that experiences things. And so uh, I just wanted to really share some things that just out of my heart and some things in the word and just things that I've discovered over time and have been discovering even recently when it comes to adversity. And uh, so this is something that is real. Adversity, it's real. And we all go through adversity in our life at different times. And, and sometimes we're in one long adversity, it seems like. It just depends. And so I know that we were created to flourish. We weren't created to flounder. Uh, in spite of what we face in life, I believe God's called us to flourish. But the reality is we go through adversity. And I know enough verses in the Bible that I declare, that I claim, that I believe in, that are faith-filled verses that I can declare that to, to say that God wants me to live whole, to, to prosper, that God wants me to be in health and all of those kinds of things. And I believe those things and I pray those and I declare those things. But I also know enough scripture and see enough in the Bible that lets me know that I don't always, I will not always see, nor you will always see the miracle that you're, you are looking for happen every time when you're asking God and praying. And we go through adversity. It's how we handle that adversity, how, how we're challenged in that. And understanding that everything that happens to us in life, God either initiates it or he allows it. Everything that happens to us, it goes through the God screen. So understand that whatever you have gone through or you're going through, God is well aware of it. He's either allowing it or he's initiated, whatever that is. So then we need to discover some things in the process because this is real. This is the life we live. Adversity is there. And you can think of somebody in, in, in our recent history, somebody like a Helen Keller, who at 18 months old had just had this freak disease thing that hit her that she went blind and she couldn't hear. And her story of overcoming adversity and pursuing through that, still having that with her, she wasn't healed. She didn't have her sight back. She didn't have her hearing back. But she was able to, through that, overcome adversity and to live a life that was meaningful and so influential to other people. God allowed that to happen. We don't know why, but he allowed it to happen. And we think of like Job in the Bible, of all people, pretty easy to look at his life and go, wow, he didn't get a good deck of cards to play with. You know, it was tough. Adversity, 
adversity for Job. Adversity. But he walked through it, and ultimately, there was a multiplication of blessing that came to him in the end. But man, talk about adversity that God allowed to happen. Lord, I pray as we discover some things in your word, talk about some things that just this is just real. Lord, that you would speak to our hearts, that you would help us discover some things that would, that would help us, God, as we are going through the trials, the tests, the challenges of life, the things that we refer to as adversity. Lord, you are still God in the midst of all those things, and we trust you in the midst of all those things. And we never stop believing that you have our best, that you care so much. You are a good God as referred to and as I refer to in this message. You are a good God. And we thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen. Just in the sense of initiating and allowing how God the Father through a process with this son Jesus. I just want to read a scripture here in Acts chapter 10, a couple of verses, starting in verse 39. It says, And we apostles are witnesses of all he did, being Jesus, throughout Judea and Jerusalem. They put him to death by hanging him on a cross. But God raised him to life on the third day. Then God allowed him to appear, not to the general public, but to us whom God had chosen in advance to be his witnesses. We were those who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. Here we see some things happen. We see that Jesus was put to death and hung on the cross. God allowed that to happen, didn't he? We could even probably say maybe he initiated in a sense. It was part of his plan, but he allowed that to happen. He could have stopped that at any moment. And we all know that Jesus did ask to have that stopped but submitted his will to his father. But then God also initiated something. He raised him from the dead. He, he stepped in, boom, he initiated resurrection. He rose from the dead. Then he goes on to, he's gonna, he allows him to appear amongst the disciples. So there's things that God is initiating and allowing throughout the life. And just an example there of Jesus and how God was through this process. Talk about adversity, really, if you think about those types of things. Now, Jesus, the, his purpose, there was something greater than just that, oh, he's going to suffer and die. And, oh, we feel sorry for that man. That was horrible that that happened to him. But there was a greater purpose that Jesus had. And so through the adversity, he was able to become who God had destined him to become for each one of us today. And it's so important for us to understand, again, that the essence of God is good. He is good. I, I can't say that enough. And as Brett brought that forth this morning, he is good. He is a good God. I want to refer to a couple of scriptures, and then I'm going to, uh, in a couple of weeks, probably come back to this point. But in Nahum chapter 1, verse 7, it says, the Lord is good. Say that with me. The Lord is good. The Lord is good. A strong refuge when, when trouble comes. He is close to those who trust in him. Do you trust in him today? Then he's close to you. 
and he is good. You need to know that. Psalm 84.11 says this, For the Lord God is our sun and our shield. He gives us grace and glory. The Lord will withhold no good things, no good thing from those who do what is right. He doesn't withhold anything that's good for us. If we're doing the things that he's asked us to do, he's got good things in store for us. Amen? The enemy is trying to convince us that God is holding out on us or God is, he's not, he's not holding up to his end of the bargain. He's not being good to you. The enemy wants you to believe that God doesn't really love us. And he doesn't really care for us. He's just kind of giving lip service, but he really doesn't. Because if you look at your circumstance, you could say, eh, it doesn't seem like God really cares for me. But that's the enemy trying to convince us that. Wow, can't you see? God's allowing bad things to happen to you. He's not a good God. How could he be a good God? When Satan approached Eve in the garden, he's basically implying to her, if God really was a good God, and if he really loved and cared for you, he would let you eat of that tree. He's not really a good God. So right from the beginning, Satan is out to try to bring destruction. We see that. When Satan tempted Jesus, he used the, the, the challenge that Jesus was faced with at the time. He was hungry. He hadn't eaten in 40 days. He went right after the adversity, whatever it was, and Satan went right for that. You're hungry. Gee, if, if your father really loved you, <laughs> you wouldn't be hungry. Turn that stone to bread because you can, if you really are who say you are, so the enemy always goes after that spot he knows where in our adversity, he's going to come and focus on that. He's going to try to trip us up. Satan loves to focus on our problem. He loves to do that. But God encourages us, as we read, to focus on his goodness. Because we, we must focus on his goodness in the midst of our adversity. We must do that or we will get sucked into the enemy's ploy to try to de destroy us and try to, to lie to us and deceive us that God really isn't good and he really doesn't care for us that much. Or he would take that away. You wouldn't be suffering that way. That's what the enemy wants to tell us. The goodness of God is really a great barrier against the temptations that the enemy brings to us. Because if we can con continually put the goodness of God in front and be talking about that, it puts a barrier up between us and the temptation that the enemy tries to throw at us, to try to get us to do. And so the goodness of God is a great barrier to keep us from yielding to that temptation. And since God is good, we don't need to turn to anybody else. That includes Satan, because <laughs> he wants us to turn to him in his deceitful lies. We don't need that because he is good. He meets all of our needs. We need to declare that. God will supply all your needs according to his Riches and glory in Christ Jesus. He is a good God. It's much better to go hungry in the will of God than be full outside the will of God. <laughs> we think, I'm hungry or this isn't going right. I must not be, this must not be right. No, God's saying you're right in my will. You're, you're in adversity, but you're in my will and I'm going to take care of you. Because we feel like I need to jump ship. I need to go somewhere where it feels like I can be full 
but yet it's not in the will of God. It's much better to be in that place of hunger and being in his will and knowing it's his goodness. He's taking care of me. He will take care of us. Once we start to doubt God's goodness, we can begin to start being attracted to the enemy's lies. As soon as we have that little doubt, yeah, I wonder, then the, the attraction to Satan's offers, because he comes in with his offers, he comes in and he tries to sell you a, a cheap bill of goods that aren't true. And so the natural desire for us then is to reach for his bait that he puts out. And in thinking about that, just in a story from just my life, well, we have this shed that's a tool shed sits outside of our house. Not a fancy shed. It's just enough to keep tools and stuff in there. So I've, I don't have it 100% sealed off. So occasionally a rat will go into my shed. Well, I don't want them in there. You don't want rats in your shed. I've, so over the last few years, I've just kept that green little nice chunk of food, a bait for the rat. And it's always good when I go in there. Well, it'll go, and it'll go for months, and that, that'll just sit there without being, I'm fine. Okay, there's no, there's no rats. But I know, the, immediately know when there's a rat. Obviously, because it's been eaten off of, and then there's evidence left behind that are green. <laughs> and I know I, the problem's taken care of. He went for the bait. Now, the other day, something happened that I never had happen before. And this is a pretty big chunk of, of, of green stuff. I told my wife, I said, did you, take, did you move that out of the shed? She goes, no. Okay, then I know what happened. That rat snuck that huge thing out and took it to its nest, which is fine. But it, was, but it made me think about some things. Because, see, the enemy's out to poison us. And he puts that pretty little green color, something that we're attracted to, and we start sniffing around it. But if we're in that place of not being sure about the goodness of God, we think, oh, maybe I'll taste this a little bit. Maybe, maybe this will help me through this adversity. And it, and it begins to poison us. And then I thought, wow. And then we, what happens is we get so um, poisoned and bitter about things and upset, we can take that and we can take it back to our home or we can take it and we can affect other people by that by our words, by our actions, by what we say. Our kids pick up, our, uh, our friends, other people in the church, and we start complaining about this and that, man, God's doing this or this isn't happening or I'm, you know, everything's falling apart and just we've, we've kind of taken that bait and then we begin to feed other people and get them kind of buying into our woes. It's not healthy. It's not good. So we need to encourage each other about the goodness of God. And declare the goodness of God when we're dealing with these kinds of things in our lives. Don't we, we have to remind each other, yes, of God's goodness. Satan loves to hide in our adversity. He will sneak in there and he will hide just behind a curtain behind somewhere in our adversity. And he just waits. Because he knows every one of us, we're human beings. We get to that place where we are frustrated, we don't like it, we don't like the adversity, and we're just sort of sniffing around for an answer, and we get our eyes off 
God or off the goodness of God because we do. We're human beings. We're like, God, you're, man, you're just not coming up. You're not coming through for me here. And so we just kind of, we're just sort of sniffing around, thinking there's got to be another answer. But he redirects us back to his goodness. Trust me. It's okay. And we look at the examples. Man, these people had to go through some stuff. It would have been great. And I, I always say, God, this is great. If you just take this away now, but he has a, pur a greater purpose. There's something that he knows I need to learn. And if he takes it away too soon, I won't learn. I won't grow. I won't mature in whatever that situation is. And I'll miss it. And then sure enough, comes around again. And I'm trotting through this. I go, I've been in this valley before. And he's like, well, this time I want you to go through it. And I want to make sure you get through it and not get stuck in it. Yeah? Moses warned Israel about not forgetting the goodness of God. He said, you're going to go into a promised land that's amazing. I'm going to warn you, don't forget about the goodness of God. Because God's provision and his goodness was so there for Israel. They, began, they were going to enjoy some incredible blessings of the promised land. We need this warning too in our lives because there will be a time where we go in, we get into a really good season. We do in our personal life, maybe as a church. There's just these seasons we go into, we're just like, man, things are flying along good. And we forget about the goodness of God because we don't, we're not in a place of really dependence on him. And that's not a good, healthy place to be either. So we look here in Deuteronomy chapter 6, starting in verse 10. Moses saying, the Lord your God will soon bring you into the land he swore to give you when he made a vow to your ancestors, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. It's a land with large, prosperous cities that you did not build. The houses will be richly stocked with goods you did not produce. You will draw water from cisterns you did not dig. And you will eat from vineyards and olive trees you did not plant. When you have eaten your fill in this land, be careful not to forget the Lord who rescued you from slavery in the land of Egypt. You must fear the Lord your God and serve him. When you take an oath, you must use only his name. And I think about this, and you think about the people who suffered and went through things to earn some of the things that you're enjoying in life today. Whatever that is you can think of in history. People that now you're able to partake of something really good that you didn't produce. You didn't have to go through it. But as a, as a nation, we're blessed now because of some things that his, historically people gave their lives and, they've, and even recently given their lives so that you and I can be free in this country. Don't forget the sacrifice. Don't forget the sacrifice that Jesus made for you, that you could live in his goodness and you can be, live in abundance. I'm here to tell you, though, that adversity is part of everyone's life. It is. It would be easy for me to take a poll because I could say, raise your hand if you've never been through adversity. And I know there would, no hand, there would be no hands that would go up. We've all been through adversity or we're going through adversity. There's a saying that says, a smooth sea never produces a skilled sailor. How do you know how to... I, I look and watch sailboats. I don't, I don't know how to sail. I, I can imagine at some point if I was out there, I'd be fooling around with this and just out of sheer need for figuring it out but if I look out there and, and it looks so easy but I tell you those people that know how to run those sails I 
guarantee it's not because they were out on the calm water with no wind blowing. They've been through some serious wind to figure out how to do that, how to navigate the wind and how to use the sail to their advantage in that. If we use God's goodness as a sail to our advantage, that his goodness and it's his goodness that leads us and guides us through, his goodness that leads us to repentance, all these things that we're doing and we get pretty good after a while in the sense of, okay, I've been here. I know how to navigate this because I learned last time not to do this. And I learned to do this. Last time I got hit head with that bar that goes across the bottom of the sail. And that didn't feel good. This time I'm going to watch for it. You know what I'm saying? This is just real life stuff. And if you don't go through these things and if you don't walk all the way through it and finish it out, you're not going to know. And the next time it's going to hit you in the head again. I'm giving up. I'm not doing that. Well, you're going to get hit in the head again until you allow that to get that. Whatever you're, you're going to go through, you're going to get through it. Because he says, go through the valley of the shadow of death. Go through, you know. You're not stopping and staying there. You're going through whatever extent, time that takes. There, there's a, uh, a saying that John Maxwell had, had created, and I've sort of changed it just a little bit, but he said 10 10% of your life is the adversity and makes up your life, and the other 90% is how you handle that adversity. I put this, it's a 10% of gained wisdom comes from the adversity we face. 90% comes from our response to the adversity. So there's wisdom that comes in our response and how we respond to adversity. We learn. Either we responded horribly, we gained wisdom, or we... Or we made some good decisions through and said, you know what, those were good. I'm going to remember those decisions. Either, either way, we're learning, we're gaining wisdom. But we're not going to gain wisdom if we get out there and we get in adversity and, and then all of a sudden it just starts, but we don't finish the process. We don't know. And then it comes again. We don't have any frame of reference. Of course, since we're all humans, we go through the whole self-pity, pity party, woe is me. You know, everything's against me, the sky's falling, that person's trying to hit me. All of these things, life's not fair. Why me? All these traps. But when we do that, have that thought process, we fail to recognize the things that God is trying to work in our life. He's a good God, remember? There's some things that there's growth that accompanies adversity. There's growth. Are you growing? Because you, you get out your little growth chart. Some of you chart out things in life. Chart out something when you're going through adversity and chart out some things. Get a journal and chart some things and see. And you can identify the times where you responded correctly and the times you didn't. And you can recognize marker points when you're going through something. It's like, oh, yeah, five years ago, I went through something similar to this. Or I was talking to a friend of mine, and they told me about this. I need to watch for that. See, that's where we are helpful with, in the body of Christ, helping each other. We can learn from others through the adversities that they've been through. That, that's actually probably the best way to learn. I, I learned from an older brother. I grew up with an older brother and watched him and saw that, okay, that didn't work. So maybe I'll take a different approach. He got spanked for that. I don't want to get spanked for that or whatever, you know. I mean, you, you just, you're trying to learn through other people. And then there's just, sometimes you just, you're so stubborn that you don't want to learn. And so the Lord brings some humbling opportunities to us where he 
can help us through that. I want to get into this portion of Scripture because this is really the crux of what, what I'm talking about today in adversity and, and talking about Paul. And I want, I want us to look at this Scripture in 2 Corinthians chapter 12. And I want to read the first 10 verses here. Some th very interesting things here. So this is uh, regarding Paul, <clears throat> 2 Corinthians 12. He's saying, this boasting will do no good, but I must go on. I will reluctantly tell about visions and revelations from the Lord. I was caught up to the third heavens, third heaven 14 years ago. It's interesting, too, that he, a lot of things happened in this thing that really caused Paul. <laughs> but so he, he's 14 years ago, and now he's, he, he can sort of go there, because I'm sure his mind was blown by being in the third heaven, for one. He learned some things there that he couldn't even talk about. It was so phenomenal and incredible. He couldn't talk about. Whether I was in my body or out of my body, I don't know. Only God knows. <clears throat> yes, only God knows whether I was in my body or outside my body. But I do know that I was caught up to paradise and heard things so astounding that they cannot be expressed in words, things no human is allowed to tell. Wow. That experience is worth boasting about. You would think, man, Paul's life must be incredibly good. <laughs> Talking about, you, th th that, that experience is worth boasting about, but I'm not going to do it. I will boast only about my weaknesses. If I wanted to boast, I would be no fool in doing so because I would be telling the truth. But I won't do it because I don't want anyone to give me credit beyond what they can see in my life or hear in my message. Even though I have received such wonderful revelations from God. So to keep me from becoming proud, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger from Satan to torment me and keep me from becoming proud. Three different times I begged the Lord to take it away. Each time he said this, my grace is all you need. My power works best in weakness. Interesting. So now I'm glad to boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ can work through me. That's why I take pleasure in my weaknesses and in the insults, hardships, persecutions, and troubles that I suffer for Christ. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Very interesting portion of Scripture. There was a thorn that God allowed to be in, in a sense, in Paul's life. My guess, and I'm not a scholar, but I, reading through different things of Paul's writings, that I could pick up at least one. It could have been his eyesight. He probably, there was something wrong with his eyes. Either he couldn't see or very pained, very, he could have diseased, whatever it was. So he was referred in Galatians chapter 4.15 when he was speaking to some of the Gentiles, he told them, he said, I'm sure you would have taken out your own eyes and given them to me if at all possible. And then another interesting thing in, in Galatians 6.11, and I've read this many times, I never really noticed this, but he has capital letters that he writes out. He said, notice what large letters I use as I write these closing words in my own handwriting. So he could see what he was writing. That's my, my take on it. But he had this thorn that, why did Paul have to live with this? And he, he's taking it to God and he's saying, take this thing from me. Take it from me. 
I don't want to deal, I don't want this adversity anymore. And of course, Paul dealt with many other adversities too. But God allowed this stuff to be in his life. The same as he allows stuff to be in your life. And you're wondering, God, why can't you take this thing from me? You healed that person. You took care of that. Well, I wish I had all the answers for that other than, than understanding that this is part of life. And it helps us keep dependent on our Father in heaven. And I, I believe, uh, living through my life to this point, I just believe as much as I would like to have God be that on the spot every second, every moment, fix, 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 do, do all this stuff, I would love that. We would all love it. But I believe firmly that God is over, uh, overseeing our life, but he's up there and he's just allowing life to happen for us because he made a choice. I'm going to give people a chance to choose in life. Some things they're not going to get to pick what happens. Some things they pick, and based on their decisions, these things happen in their life. But God allows certain things to happen, and we don't know. It's not our prerogative to, to figure all of that out. We just know we're living in a fallen world, a sinful world, that there are bad people, and bad things happen to good people, and we understand that. So we can't come up with this whole idea that we're going to blame God for everything because essentially what I said from the beginning, God is a good God. His goodness is, is there for all of us. It's there to help us through these things, through the adversity. And it's hard to wrap our mind around that portion of scripture that I just read in a sense. But I, I do believe it answers some important questions. The Lord, number one, he has more need of our weakness than he does of our strength. There's something he can do in our weakness that he cannot do in our strength. And we see that here. Christ's power has been best displayed in the backdrop of adversity. His power is displayed. And that's how he chooses to do that. He can display his awesomeness in the midst of our adversity. I think if we saw his awesomeness and we had no adversity and we never had anything to compare his awesomeness to, then it wouldn't be awesome. It's like, oh, that's, that's just life, or that's normal. Well, we know that Jesus showed us normal, which was he rode in the boat pretty much everywhere he went, but he had the power to walk on water, but he didn't do that all the time. He's used that to demonstrate his awesomeness, but that's not how life is lived for any of us, and so Jesus wasn't going to try to put himself in a place where oh, I'm just going to walk on water and I'm, but he lived a life just like you and I and went through the same challenges we go through. Our strength is often his rival. It, our, if we're trying to live in our own strength, it rivals what he's trying to do in our life. And so it, this thing, it does, it does, it's not a great fit. Our, our weakness will serve him well as to what he's trying to do in our life. And it, and it gives us strength to bear up during these challenges, during the trials, during during. The adversity is strength comes. Like I said, we know Jesus was more than capable of calming the storm. We know he calmed a storm, but I know that there was many storms he probably didn't calm. His disciples figured out how to get out there and go through that stuff. They had to go across the water out in the lake and stuff, and he wasn't there all the time. They, they learned how to be sailors or, you know, to navigate boats and, and storms. <clears throat> that was the normal. 
but the reason he did it was, like I said, to demonstrate his power. We have something to compare to that he is a powerful God and he can do this and we love it when he does. And it's an awesome experience for us. But he allows most of the storms to play out in our life. He doesn't step in and interfere and calm the storm. Now he can do that and he does do that. And praise God when he does. But most of the time he allows it to play out for us because there's something bigger, something greater. And remember, he has us in the palm of his hand through that whole time. He never leaves us. He never forsakes us. Our way is to do everything we can to escape the adversity, right? That's my way. <laughs> I got to figure out how to get out of this adversity. Easy button. Yep. Boink. I love that easy button. It doesn't work most of the time. <laughs> Our insecurity really does create opportunity for God. It's in our insecurity, our weakness. It, but it's our security in ourself that creates opportunity for the enemy. Because when we become secure, we become arrogant, we feel like, hey, I'm doing everything's good. The enemy, boy, I'm telling you, he's on that. God's way is not to take us out of the trial or the adversity that we're in, but to give us the strength to bear up, to be able to get through it. And it's his strength that causes us and allows us to get through those things. It's not our own strength. And it allows us to give him glory and give him honor in that process. And it's a, and it, and it's a great testimony for each and every one of us. Rather than removing the problem, the adversity, he gives us the grace to go through it. I, I know I'm speaking to people today because we're all in the same we're all in the same life game of life here in the same boat but we need to understand adversity is real but we have a good God and he has promised to see us through those things we find God's power all the more present when we're in the midst of those challenges those, those things that we, we find his. Because if we're in the word and if we're praying, we're seeking him, we, it's very evident that we see him in everything. I'm going to stop here this morning uh, I'm, and I'm going to be continuing on this. And I want to bring some practical things to you and some other things that I'm going to talk, be talking about. Maybe some practical lessons too of Paul's thorn that he had that maybe we could identify with. Paul probably thought that God's grace would be to remove the thorn. <laughs> That's what I would be wanting to the same. But God's grace was related to his sufficiency, to God's sufficiency through that, not to the presence of or absence of suffering in that regard, but it was to his all-sufficiency. He's all-sufficient at all times. As the worship team would come. <clears throat> We're going to sing again this song that, uh, talking about God's, how good God is. Will you stand with me? God is a good God, amen? I want you to say this three words, very simple, but I want you to, because you need to declare this. You need to declare it, and I want you to declare it in a loud voice not uncomfortably loud or that your neighbor will hurt their ear or whatever. <clears throat>
but simply say these three words. And I'm going to count to three. We're going to say God is good. One, two, three. God is good. Do you believe it? We, have, we must believe that he's good. Because if we don't, he's good all the time. He is. But that might have been too many words for people to say. God is good. Let's sing this song before we're dismissed.